one of the very well-known passages in the Word of God is the account of Samson. Samson was basically chosen of God from from a from a baby, and God had something for Samson to do. He wanted him to basically um, be a judge of Israel, to free Israel from their oppressors who were the Philistines. God had a plan for Samson's life. And the only thing, well, the, the, the biggest thing that he couldn't do was to cut his hair because God was going to give him a supernatural strength. And so he grew up and... He had an incredible power and an incredible strength that was not natural, that was not of man, but it was of God. And unfortunately, Samson basically relied on his strength, on everything that he could do, and he didn't look to God. He was very carnal. Um, he uh, wasn't satisfied with, uh, with anyone from the children of Israel, a, a wife. And so he looked elsewhere. He went to the Philistines. He, he got a bride of the Philistines and, and wasn't happy with the way they, they uh, answered his riddle by, um, by cheating. Um, so he, he took the gates of the city up to the top of the hill and threw them down. He, he was a man who lived basically by his own strength. God did use him to, to basically... Um, uh, deliver um, the children of Israel from the Philistines. He certainly killed many during his life. But he trusted in his own strength. He thought that he could handle anything that came his own way. He, he had this power of God, but this is what he trusted in. He didn't trust in God. And in fact, uh, as far as I'm aware, there is no account of Samson calling on the name of God except when after he had been captured by the Philistines and he had had his eyes plucked out and his hair cut and all his strength had gone from him from his strength his incredible power and his strength came weakness he had everything taken from him but then when at last the, the Philistines wanted to make sport of him, they wanted to basically laugh at him and, and, what, and, and, and basically um, put him up as a trophy of the Philistines, he called on the name of God. He realized that his power was not of himself. He realized that he had to look to God for his strength and that was the only thing that was going to matter. In Judges 16.28 it says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. He was still thinking carnally. He was still wanting to do it for carnal reasons, but he looked to God, and God restored his strength that one time. And the Word of God says that he killed more Philistines in his death than he did at any other time combined during his life. This message is titled, From Strength, Weakness, and From Weakness, Strength. You see, Samson relied on his own strength, his own power, 
what he could do in his own abilities, even though they were given of God. And from that, there came a weakness. He lost everything because he relied on his own strength. He didn't look to God. He didn't follow God. He didn't walk in the ways of God. He was more interested in his own carnal desires and appetites than in the things of God. But when he came to that low point, in the point of his weakness, in the point of complete and utter despair, he looked to God and God gave him strength again at that last time. David. David was a shepherd boy. He came from nowhere. He was not of any royal lineage. And God anointed him when he was a youth. But he came from nowhere. He was not a man of war. He was not a man that was known for for fighting against the Philistines. He was still very young when God started to use him. He came from nowhere and God used him mightily to defeat Goliath who was um, basically coming out and challenging the children of God, challenging God himself. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this that is able to come against the armies of God? And we know the story, we know the account how God used him to defeat Goliath at that time. And there was a great victory. They, they chased the, the Philistines and they, they had a great victory that day from that battle. David quickly became a man of war and led armies against the enemy successfully. He even talks about it in one of the Psalms, Psalm 144 and 1. He said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. He recognized that his abilities came from God. He became more popular than the king, and songs were sung about him right from the moment that David defeated Goliath, and they reached all the way through the land of Israel, even to the Philistines, Israel's enemy. When he escaped into the land of the Philistines, they knew the songs. <laughs> they knew the songs that the children of Israel had been singing about him. And they... When it was sung, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with, in, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. They came, they, they were singing his praises even from an early time. Then David and his men, um, because he was put over a, a, a garrison of, of the the Israelites, David and the men that were under him then seemed to effortlessly kill 200 Philistines to pay for the marriage to Saul's daughter, Michael. Or Michal, however it's said. And soon, very soon after that, we hear in 1 Samuel 19 and 8, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. David was now quickly an experienced man of war from fighting against a bear and a lion all the way to Goliath. And then now he was leading armies against many many uh, uh, armies of Philistines and he was getting the victory. He very quickly went from nowhere to having these abilities, these, the, um, this ability to, to lead war and, and to, to wage war on his own strength. He knew what to do to win battles. 
But then everything went pear-shaped. Saul was already trying to kill him and trying to, to kill him in, in different ways um, himself. And then he hoped that the Philistines were going to, to kill him when he wanted uh, to marry Saul's daughter. And, and then very quickly came to persecution and he had to run for his life. The very thing that was his claim to fame, what he was most well known for, the thing that he had a God-given talent at became useless to him. He was able to lead armies into war. He was able to fight in an incredibly powerful way. He was able to turn to flight the Philistines, but he now became powerless. He still led a small army of soldiers, rebels that joined him, that realized that he was of God, but he was unable to lead them against his enemy, who was now King Saul. David had more than enough ability to defeat Saul in his own power, and he even had multiple opportunities to do it. There was a time when he was in a cave, and, and Saul came in and, and basically rested his head. All his armies were outside, but David and his men were inside. It was an easy, easy victory. But he refused to do the wrong thing in lifting his hand up against the man of God, the man that God had placed on the throne. He had his priorities in the right order. So even though he was a man of war, even though he was able to wage great victories, he chose, he could not use those abilities to, to defeat his enemies anymore. He had to run and hide for years on end, which was not his natural talent. He was persecuted to the ends of the kingdom. His greatest strength was turned into weakness. He was now unable to do anything in his own power except run and hide. He was forced to look to God in everything through his lengthy trial just to survive. When before he could just go out in the power of God and defeat his enemies easily. There's nothing in the word of God to say that David ever stopped relying on God and started relying on his own strength. But there is something about us as humans where we will always be tempted to rely on ourselves and our own strengths. We will never know the end of David if he hadn't gone through those intense trials. Would he have started to trust in his own ability to defeat his enemies and started to leave God out of the picture? Started to say, I've got this. I can wage war on my enemies. I can do anything in my own power and be lifted up in his own abilities and his own pride. We'll never know. But God used those trials and tribulations to make sure that David always knew that he could never do it in his own strength. He needed to rely on God for everything. Many of David's Psalms talk about how he was overwhelmed and needed to put his trust completely in God. And God eventually restored David and gave him what he had promised him many years ago, the kingdom of Israel that he was going to be king. While David was remembered at the time for his ability to, to defeat the enemy, the songs were about him and his, that ability. He is most remembered now for the songs of praise to God that he wrote. He wrote many, many psalms. And that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what he's remembered for. I know that I'd rather be remembered for being a lover of God than for anything that I could do in my own strength. And what about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul? He talks about 
his own credentials in Acts 22 and 3. He says, I am verily, or I am truly a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a well-known, a great teacher of the law, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. He's defending himself at this time. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them, which were there bound unto Jerusalem for, to be punished. He was doing everything that a good Jew would do. He was defending his, his faith, his belief, against outside influence against things that he believed were against what he saw in the word of God he was doing everything that he could to follow God he was zealous he was he had been brought up in the perfect way he was doing everything that he could Saul was a man who put his entire identity in how perfect he was following God in the way that he had believed and was taught was right But God literally met him on the way to Damascus, on the way to to persecute the the children of God, um, of the church in Damascus and beyond. And God turned his strength, that which he had relied on, into weakness. He realized that everything that he had, had built his faith, his trust on, was now useless. It was now not anything that he could stand on and not anything that he could follow anymore he started following and teaching Jesus which was against everything that he had believed previously he thought he was a false teacher he thought that he came in in his own power he thought that he was just a a false prophet but he found out that he was the son of God everything that he had relied on in the past in his own strength was now useless to him In fact, he was now persecuted by those who had held him in high regard. Those who didn't have the same credentials as Paul, they didn't follow God as as earnestly, as zealously as Paul did, now persecuted him and caused him trouble for the rest of his life. Paul's greatest strength was turned to weakness. He was unable to use his old credentials that he had built up over many years any further. He now had a new set of credentials that weren't as pleasant. In 2 Corinthians 11, 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. 
he had a new set of credentials. They were not the strengths that he had before, but they were weakness. They were things that he had to endure. They were things that he had to go through to be a child of God. God did use Paul mightily and powerfully for the gospel, but with it came, came, with it came infirmity, trials, tribulations, and weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 7, it says, Unless I shall be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, God revealed many incredible, pow- incredibly powerful things to Paul. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. From strength to weakness and weakness to strength. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest, may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Saul's greatest strength was turned to weakness. But God brought spiritual strength from Paul's own weakness. He turned his weakness into strength. Paul's trials and tribulations kept him humble and forced him to keep looking to God in and for everything. When as a man he will be tempted to trust in his own strength and ability to preach God's word or rest in his position as an apostle of God mightily used to preach and to save many, many Gentiles, where he may have been naturally proud, God used these things to keep him humble and always relying on and trusting in God. And he was able to bring strength through that weakness. So what about us? Doing anything in your own strength is not the will of God. It seems that the more we can be confident in and rely on our own strength, our reasoning, our mind, our ability to do things, the less God is interested in using us and is therefore unable to use us. And it's then that God needs to get our attention. We go through horrible trials and tribulations. Often it's something that cuts to the heart of what we are so confident in or pride ourselves on. If we're confident in our own natural talents, we might go through something where our talents let us down or we are unable to use them. If we're proud of our excellent health, we might go through a period of extremely poor health. It's not always the case, but sometimes God works it in that way. I remember when I was a lot younger um, in Townsville, a long time before I came over here, I remember mentioning to someone at work, um, basically boasting about how good my health was. Uh, I said, you know, I haven't had a sick day in five years. And, And... and unfortunately, the next week, I came down with a mosquito-borne virus called Barma Forest Virus, and that laid me flat on my back for months. And uh, so what I prided myself in suddenly was taken away. And I'm not saying that that's a judgment of God. 
but God can teach us through many things. I was also at the time I was um, training myself. I was going to um, keyboard lessons, and I was a natural. Um, I was, you know, working through and, and really good and playing by ear, and I was just about to get to the the uh, part where um, I was going to start learning church songs, and 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 it was all for the the idea of being able to play in the church, but. That stopped, and I never again returned to it. So, the things we pride ourselves in can be taken away in a moment. We can't rely on our abilities. We can't rely on the things that are our strengths, because they can be taken away in our instant. Our strengths can become weaknesses. If we're proud in our ability to handle our finances, we might go through a trial of financial hardship. It's not given that we will go through a trial of our greatest strength becoming weakness, but it's often the case. When God needs to get a hold of our attention, when God needs to change the way we're thinking, when He wants to use us and we're just trusting in ourselves, we're not allowing Him to be the focal point of our lives, we can often go through something that will cause us to shift our focus from ourselves to God. Until we learn that we have no strength in ourselves, that everything that we have comes from God. Our strengths come from God. Our abilities come from God. Our talents come from God. And that the only true strength we have comes from God. And we come back with humility to God and say, Lord, it's all of you. It's all of you. I have to trust in you. And that is when he can start to use us. In 1 Peter 5 and 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. It's about humbling ourselves before God. We can be lifted up in ourselves, in our own pride, in our own things that we can do, but God has called us to be humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Yeah, we're going to go through some things, but we can look to Him. We cast our care on Him. We don't trust in our own ability to handle the situations that come our own way. We can't do it in our own strength, but we need to cast all our care on Him. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan loves people who are proud. Satan loves people who want to do things in their own strength because they're easy targets. They're easy prey. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Out of the trial can come strength. Out of the trial can come perfection, being established in God and settling in a great way in God. God wants to be a part of every part of our life. Every major decision should include God in it. When we make all of our major decisions out of our own logic, our understanding or our beliefs, 
we leave God completely out of the picture. You see, we go through situations sometimes that can... where we reach the end of our tether, where we don't know which way is up, where we don't know which way to go. And sometimes we think we need to get out of it in our own strength. We need to work out what to do in our own strength. God might want to do a miracle in your life, but you don't even ask Him for direction. God might want to deliver you completely from a situation. He might want to undertake, He might want to do something incredibly powerful and miraculous, but you choose to do something that will only help you to endure it better. Because that's what the logic, well, that's what logic or your own understanding dictates. That's the way that you would handle it in the world. But that's not the way God wants you to look at it. In Isaiah 30 and 1, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. At that time that Isaiah was being written, the Egyptians were a world power. They were known for their armies. They were known for their chariots. They were known for their ability to do battle. And whenever you have this army coming against you, the, the, the easiest thing to do, the most logical thing to do is to go to Egypt and to get their help, to say, well, I'll give you this, and you come and you fight our battles. You help us to win the war. But that is looking at it with carnal eyes. That is looking at it with carnal thinking. And that is not the way that God wanted the Israelites to do it. And it's not the way that God wants us to do it now. Just a chapter on, Isaiah 31 and 1, it says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. And then uh, verse down it goes, um, in verse 3 it says, Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is helping shall fall down, and they all shall fall together. By putting their faith and their trust in the Egyptians, not only were the Egyptians going to fall, but Israel were going to fall at the same time. God was able to do that because they didn't seek God first. They wanted to do things in their own strength. They did things according to their own logic and their own way of thinking. In some ways, you are making yourself your own God by not seeking Him when you need to make a major decision. You're saying, I got this. God, I don't need you. I got this. God can't work in that situation because you haven't invited Him into that situation. That's all He wants you to do. Make Him a part of of your major life decisions. But don't go to Him with your mind already made up. He won't force you to change your mind. I've heard many times that God is a perfect gentleman. He won't force you to change your mind, force you to do anything. But if you go to Him with your mind made up, He'll say, okay, you've got your mind made up. You can do what you want. He's not interested in people who don't have open minds, who aren't listening to His voice. He will let those people go their own way 
and suffer the consequences of their own actions. Because when you go to God, you go to Him with an open heart. You go to Him with a mind that is open to say, Lord, what do I do in this situation? Give me direction. Give me strength. Give me help. I don't know what to do. Please help me, Jesus. God takes no pleasure in leaving people to their own consequences. But through that, He is hoping that you will start to look to Him again. You looked to Him when you first got saved. You realized you needed Him more than anything else in your life. Why should things change as you go further down that journey with God? God hasn't changed. Our need for God hasn't changed. But we still need to put Him first. We still need to make Him the central point of anything that we do. But when you go to God with an open heart and an open mind, ready to listen to God's solution, that's when He will start to step in and do something incredible. Psalms 37 and 39 says, But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. Our trust needs not to be in this world. Our trust needs not to be in our own ability to free ourselves from the situations that we get ourselves in. But our trust needs to be in God. Psalm 33 and 16 says, There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. Just having a lot of armies, just having a lot of people in your army isn't going to save you. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And a horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. A horse is very strong. A horse can do, can run very fast. A horse can do many things. But he can't deliver in every situation. We can't put our faith and our trust in horses or in our own might, in our own power. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in ferment. Our soul waiteth for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. When we put our faith and trust in God, he will take care of everything else. Very famous passage in Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord, they that look to the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. God is the God of the situation. If I could get someone to the piano, please. So, if you're going through a trial, God might be wanting to get your attention. God might be wanting to teach you something particularly if you're trying to do everything in your own strength. If you're trying to do things according to your own abilities or the way that you think things should happen, do you think that God isn't able to help you? Do you think that God doesn't have the answer to your particular situation? Do you think that God doesn't care? The answer to all three of those questions is no. Of course God can help you. Of course God cares about you. And of course, he has the exact answer that you need. 
So why do we sometimes try to do everything ourselves in our own strength? Why do we rely more on the opinions of doctors, professionals, and other carnal avenues than on the Word of God? Doctors and professionals can do many things, but they'll only take you so far. Google will only help you a little bit and probably confuse you even more because of all of the different opinions and things that you can find on there. But Jesus has your own specific answer to your own specific situation. So if you are going through a trial or a situation, it's time to put Jesus first. Seek Jesus before seeking the help of the professionals or Google or your friends on Facebook. The solution might end up coming through the doctors or the professionals. Yeah, that might happen. God does use people of the world to to uh, free us from situations. But when you ask Jesus first, He will guide and lead you to the solution that is from Him. We give ourselves so much pain sometimes when we don't go to Jesus first, when we try to do everything in our own strength. It will only lead to frustration. It will only lead to pain. It will only lead to hopelessness because we don't go to God first. Our own strength, our knowledge, our abilities, our understanding will let us down. We're not perfect. We're never going to be able to know exactly what to do in every situation. But God does. And Jesus will never let you down. If you are in a situation right now, I urge you to invite Jesus into it. Even if you have asked Him before, never give up asking Him. The Bible talks about importunity, keeping on knocking, keeping on asking Him, even when there seems to be no answer. If we open our hearts to God and keep going to Him, He will direct our paths. He will show us the right way to go. So I invite you to make Jesus the center of your situation tonight. Don't hold on to other sources of hope, but let Jesus guide and direct your paths and you'll never go wrong.